0: Welcome to the Teaching Journeys podcast with Dave Roberts, a unique skill all humans have is the ability to share information across generations. And the Teaching Journeys podcast does just that. It creates learning opportunities with each amazing guest with a goal that each episode makes a positive impact on people worldwide. Before we hear from today's guest, please share this podcast with your family, friends, and colleagues. And don't forget to leave a rating, review, or both.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Teaching Journeys podcast. I'm your host, Dave Roberts. And today, I have a really cool gentleman to introduce to our listeners. His name is Henry Cameron Allen. And Henry and I first crossed paths several years ago through the Compassionate Friends, which is a nationwide organization that supports families who have experienced the death of a child from there our relationship grew and we are now here at the present moment and that moment will continue to evolve as both of our paths continue to cross without further ado Henry welcome to the teaching journeys podcast this is a real treat by the way i gotta also preface this by saying this is going to be special this will end our first season of the teaching journeys podcast we may go a little longer Than the normal 35 to 50 minutes that we usually allow for a podcast or that averages for at least for my podcast so we may go a little bit longer but trust me you're going to want to stick around so henry welcome
0: thank you dave it's so good to be here congratulations on the podcast i'm so amazed and empowered by all of the projects that you've been involved in from the book to this and i'm really
1: excited to continue our brotherhood. Brother, yes. We are brothers from another mother. And one of the things I've discovered in my journey after the transition of my daughter, Janine, over 20 years ago, is that my soul family is about now as as pronounced as my DNA family. And I realized for me that I came into this life to find my soul family. That's one of the one of the objectives that i came in with my soul was to find other souls who are like-minded
0: good to have friends in high places
1: that absolutely i <laughs> in extremely high places higher than some and that the violence <laughs> exactly so i always tell henry before we came out of the air or started recording however you want to phrase that that Standard bio wasn't really going to do him justice. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn it over to him because Henry's bio continues to evolve. Trust me, if you follow this guy on Facebook, Instagram, you'll need a nap just keeping up with with the categories (laughs) that he is involved in and how he just continues to evolve. It's almost minute by minute. So with that, I'm just going to ask, ask Henry, tell the audience who you are.
0: Well, oh, I'm I'm on the journey of figuring that out, just like everybody else. But I I call myself the original billion plate spinner. I've got all like you said, I have all these wonderful different passions that keep evolving and keep moving in my life. Foundationally, I grew up all over the world. My dad was a cultural diplomat for the US government, for the USIA, which is now an agency that is defunct because mission accomplished they were the original propaganda wing of the u.s government before there was a mcdonald's outside the u.s remember
1: those days oh yes yes i do oh yeah
0: barely (laughs) barely but he his job was to develop these huge expos of american culture which is pretty much all appropriated and they wrapped it up in a big red white and blue ribbon to sell it back to the world and what we've seen in the development of the americanization of the world My father's work was directly influential in that. And I feel that my path has led me to healing some of the damage that my father's work did in the world. And the overarching purpose that I have found is universal life skills, education, and integrity, giving people a strong sense of who they are as an individual. As a whole person, every aspect of yourself and your life creates the integrated person that you are your identity. And the lost travelers club, which started out as the brain candy project that I started with my beautiful son, Cameron, he developed anaplastic astrocytoma, which is only found in men over 45. It's a kind of brain cancer. And he was diagnosed at 11 and lived twice as long as they expected him to with it. And I'm a cancer survivor myself. And so what that did for our journey was eliminate all his fear, anxiety, depression, rage around his condition, because he knew that his Papa was a survivor. And that word survival has really been potent lately with me. And but my career has, has developed over the years. The Brain Candy Project, now the Lost Traveler's Club, is a big part of that. I'm also a theater artist. I have a, I'm developing an international touring theater company, which we are basing in Spain, where I've been living for the last three and a half years. And it's called the Liminos Project. And it explores through the art of theater, the dance across the threshold between the human physical and the human spiritual, which we are equally both. And so where's that liminal space? Where do the worlds between worlds exist? And so we're finding those connections through theater and with all original work, so that's very gratifying. I'm also a crooner. I'm a jazz crooner. Uh, I, I really enjoy singing. I didn't really find it until my forties. I'm 57 now. So late in, in my journey. Um, but it, it's been uh, a wonderful part of my career. Um, I was recently um, accredited and credentialed now as an international grief and bereavement counselor, which I'm calling grief and survival counselor, because we experience things, um, not only the loss of loved ones or what we perceive as the loss, but we could grieve and and feel bereft over, over the loss of a career, a loss mm-hmm. of a purpose. Loss of a pet, loss of one's hair. (laughs) Yeah, so we were brothers in that way too. But I'm really, the overarching purpose around all this is universal life skills. And so it's life skills mentoring, um, but through the lens of grief and survival. And so that's called guy wire, guy hyphen wire, which is a, a stable cable. That is attached to a structure to lend it stability until it can stand on its own. And so that's through my counseling and therapeutic work. That's where my focus is on lending people stability during their unstable times. Yeah. That's pretty much that's all I'm doing right now.
1: (laughs) That's all. That's probably enough. That's probably enough for two lifetimes, what you're doing. Um, but anyway, the other thing that. That kind of struck me too, is that the emphasis on life skills, which I think tends to get overlooked. A lot yeah. of times we, we think in, individuals come in to, to seek services or to seek support or to seek different perspectives. It's easy to assume that just because they want to do that means that they can. But that's right. not, that's a really an erroneous assumption because people who want to change, whether it's be to have a embrace a different perspective due to loss, whether it be symbolic loss or loss due to death, um, they don't, may not know or have the prerequisite skills to do that. It's up to us to find out what they need and provide that for them. Um, and a lot of times I see that in certain situations, people or organizations will throw money at a problem, you can throw money at a problem, but if the the target of that initiative or individuals that don't have life skills, throw money into life skills first. You know, let them throw money into having established trainers to say, this is how you do this. This is how, these are the skills that I think are going to be helpful in this next transition of your life. And I think that's a reason, Henry, for me, one of the reasons that many people stay stuck in the muck in transition is because support by itself may not be good enough.
0: No, I agree with that. And I lend that message to every aspect of my life skills work, whether it's the Lost Travelers Club, whether it's my theater work and my counseling, certainly, but even my charitable work. I do a lot of charity work. In fact, all the proceeds from my counseling benefit noble charitable causes. I think that's really important. My grandmother had the best expression. She was quoting, do you know the musical Hello, Dolly? Mm Mm-hmm let's start it out as a play called the matchmaker and there's this great line that says money you should pardon the expression is like manure it should be spread around encouraging young things to grow i love that my grandmother taught me that and one of the other projects philanthropically i'm working on right now is an organization in uganda called desire child care organization and it's all about imparting child these, these life skills to children, this young guy, 29 years old has adopted 33 kids off the streets of the slums of the capital city of Kampala single-handedly He's the same age as Cameron would be now, which is really interesting. And he started calling me Papa out of the blue, which he didn't know Cameron called me very interesting correlations there, but I've been mentoring him now for a year. And it's all about, just as you say, I I think that we all have seen the, the infomercials about $3 a day to a child in Africa. And we Mm -hmm. see the distended bellies and the flies in the eyes and tugs at our heartstrings. But like you say, it's throwing money at a problem that is not going away. And instead, and what was different about this organization was that the message from the very beginning was that they aim to be self-sufficient through agriculture. So any support is temporary. It's not about throwing money at a problem that's not gonna go away. It's about building life skills. It's about getting these children the foundation that they need under them. And we all need that. Hmm. My grandmother used to say, Honey, raising kids is like building a house. It's all about the foundation. You can't build the roof before you've laid the foundation. If you have a weak foundation, you're dooming that house to collapse in on itself at some point, right? But if you start with a strong foundation, the house can burn to the ground and you can build it up again. And that's what this whole conversation is about, rebuilding foundations for ourselves, for our inner children, to learn those life skills that we maybe didn't get enough of when we were kids. We all learned them. It's not a question of whether we learn the life skills. All 8 billion of us are learning them. It's about how well are we learning them and with what proficiency and from whom are we well, learning them. I yeah. was there
1: and the other thing you mentioned. First of all, I got to tell you, I'll never look at manure the same way again after your grandmother's take on <laughs> manure. So I'll never look at manure the same way again. And it is money. I'll look at it as money. Or I'll just look at it more as more multidimensionally now. Look right? at money as newer, better. <laughs> yeah, I think I could do that too. The other thing you mentioned, it's interesting about foundations, and I I've equated the transition or the the shift in perspective that we make after catastrophic loss, regardless of the circumstances, is the foundation that we had that built our something world prior to the loss. This isn't going to be the same as it is after. So if we're going to rebuild the foundation, if we try to use the same materials that we used prior to loss, that foundation is going to crumble because now our world and perspective has shifted. So now we have to take materials, we have to take tools, we have to take life skills that are going to, to rebuild the foundation that reflects our new reality now. And that's something that I've learned in the 20-plus years since I've walked the path as a peregrine. Para, uh, And thank
0: you for using that word.
1: You're welcome because we're going to get into, we're going to get into that in a bit anyways, but it's, but I realized that foundation that we rebuilt now after loss has to be different in order for us to continue to move forward. I
0: think that's true for a lot of people. And I, and that's why I am so devoted to universal life skills education, because if we are laying these down from early childhood, Okay. Grief is a universal life skill everyone on the planet is going to experience. And there is a level of skill to that. We need to be talking about grief at the early foundational stages of childhood. We need to start preparing humanity. We were unprepared with COVID to deal with the the massive grief that the world experienced collectively and individually in the same way. Lump of time. Right. Hadn't we been teaching universal life skills in grief and resilience and healthcare and communication skills and all the things that really flopped during that yep. post we COVID is still with us and we're still struggling with it less now than we were when we were flailing. And my assertion, and this goes out to any educators who are listening. We need to be instilling universal life skills, conversations into every level of development from early childhood onward.
1: Yeah, I agree. I'm a friend believer then when we meet
0: it. Then when we meet it, whether it's our children, whether it's our friend, whether it's our parents, whatever, then we have some equipment in our toolkit to meet it. The problem is that universally globally, we don't have it in our toolkit to meet death to meet this transition of energy. And so most of us have a weak foundation in that sense. And that's why we implode. But if it was there to begin with, Dave, I swear, I believe that this would be a much easier task. You could go back and rebuild. This is why I started council because you can go back and rebuild. It takes time. It takes effort, it takes resources. To rebuild your foundations, but that's also possible. And that's a, an important message for peregrines, I think, because too many, like you say, are stagnating in their not even in their grief, they're still in mourning.
1: Yeah. And mourning, I think, is, is obviously for me an appropriate way to to, uh, to honor our, our children, but there's a, also a time that we need to do work with our children as opposed to an honor of them. That's the next that's the next step in this process are there days where i still mourn sure but i i look at those days as part of the path that i'm going to walk i've learned that any emotion's going to surface and i need to be prepared to deal with that emotion and learn from it but i also understand that there's also that process of integration that what i do in honor of, of janine is not only in honor of her but it's more with her because it's with her it's The best pieces of her become the best pieces of me, and I just move forward with that. And that's the other piece is that a lot of times, I think regardless of how many years a peregrine has been in in mourning or grieving, that process of integration needs to be the next step after mourning, because once we can integrate, then we can move, we can truly move forward. I'm
0: glad that you say that you state after mourning, because a lot of people, I think conflate mourning and grief. I had a dream a few months ago, a couple months ago, that was very, it, it was one of these mind blowing dreams. I swear I hadn't taken anything. I hadn't drank, drunk any alcohol or taken any cannabis or whatever, but I had this very psychedelic kind of a, an experience where I was introduced to what i am calling 12 dimensions quantum dimensions of grief and what in in the zero dimension zero and dimension 1 it was very clear to me that mourning and grief are very different they're all part of the grief journey but mourning is very specifically tied to new loss it is a passive and temporary state. You can't do a thing with mourning, but sit in it like a puddle. You're numb. You're in shock. You're trying to make sense and find acceptance of what happened. Even if it was expected to some degree, you're still making sense of this whole new paradigm, right? And so mourning you can do nothing with, but then at some point. You cross the threshold into grief and grief is permanent. Grief is active. You can channel grief into good things. You can move with your grief. You can let it grow and mature and develop over time and space. And so that's really opened me up as a peregrine to all these layers that I didn't realize existed. And what I'm doing with all that information, actually, I woke woke me up at about three in the morning and for the rest of the night or morning, I was typing out and what emerged was a 14 part video series on the quantum dimensions of grief. And it's a universal message, but through the lens of surviving our children, which I think is going to be, I hope it will be as helpful to other people as it has been for me.
1: And I think I think it will be because I think we're all looking for anybody who's grieving is lo- are looking for a different perspective. The misnomer, I think, the misconception is that we want grief to stop. Grief isn't going to stop. Grief's going to be integrated. Grief isn't something to be feared. Grief is something to be integrated or, or, he- or healed. It's not going to be healed either. That that's another term that I think is highly overrated. I think we're in a constant state of I don't want to even say healing. But we're in a constant state of growth we're in a concentrated Dark. stage of transformation. So yes. I looked at uh, growth and transformation as opposed to healing. Healing means we got nothing left to learn. If we're healed, then we got nothing left to learn. Guess That's what? I'm 68 years old I'm still learning. I'm still learning. I'm still healing. I'm still
0: healing, healing is
1: a process. Healing is, is
0: a journey. And it's not an end game. It's not a destination. Damn. And I think that people do tie that a lot, especially paragrams. Because that's what's the that's what the lexicon has been. We've been taught. How often do we hear child loss, bereavement, death? How does that not keep you in the muck, as you say? How does it not keep you in the mire, in a downward spiraling vortex? And not only you, but anyone who's aware of your journey. Because they have been taught to teach it as, talk about it as a loss, as death, as bereavement and all of this, right? It's a very different thing. And so what I'm aiming to do with your help as one of the Council of Peregrines of the, of the Lost Travelers Club, with your help, help as a colleague in the mental health field, is to start changing the language. Come up with a new lexicon.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, A survival guide for lost travelers, a field guide, some way that, that allows us to be lifted out of that stagnation and that loop that Mm -hmm. that burn that old tape. Because it's not working for any of us. Nobody I know is happy who's using that language. So let's
1: change the language. Uh, Yeah. And I think if something isn't working, then we fix it. Then we try to put a different spin we try to put a different perspective, and we try to create a different language. Let's get into the whole piece in terms of how the Peregrine terminology evolved, because I know there yes. was another dream that was attached to that, which <laughs> was, to me, listening to that, it was the way you described it. It was very vivid, and I felt that I was a part of that dream. I felt that I was witnessing that dream with you. That's how vivid it is. So why don't you give our listeners a, a glimpse into that, and into the the Paragon dream and how this whole thing evolved with a, a different way to conceive a parent's journey after the loss of a child
0: thank you i i have very productive dreams anybody who knows me knows that because a lot uh, I, I had a, a clairvoyant woman tell me one time you don't sleep very well do you i said not really she said that's because you're always working you're always working in your dreams." developing things and you're not it's not a restful sleep she said you need to play more get out and play more because play is where you rest i loved that and it actually proved to be true so if she wasn't saying she wasn't saying try to change the quality of your sleep she was validating that this being that i am needs to work in my sleep
1: mm-hmm
0: to rest in my waking hours. No scientist, Dave, can tell us whether this, what we perceive as awake is actually the dream and our dream is our wakeful state. Nobody can tell us that we don't even know what consciousness is. This also gives permission to everybody to realize that everything is possible. Mm-hmm. Every- After Cameron left the planet, left his physical body behind. Um, I had to get out of Dodge. I had to go on a road trip and find a place where I could get my scale back. Um, anyone who's been by the side of a, of a child who is, is struggling with health problems, either critical or terminal, uh, knows what that feels like. You're a superhero until you're not, and had to be larger than life to try and save your child. And after he left, I was flailing. I had an existential crisis. Who am I now? If not a parent, you're only a parent if you're parenting, right? Yeah. And I couldn't go to the market without somebody seeing me and coming up and falling apart in my arms. I was holding everyone else through their bereavement and not able to really address my own. So I decided to take a road trip to the Grand Canyon because that was the largest place where I knew I could get my scale back. If you've ever been to the grand Canyon, it's so massive. You can't even imagine it. And there are these long stretches of desert, 70 miles, no gas before you even get to the thing, the hole. And, and I was on one of those stretches and it was the middle of the night and it was about three in the morning and I was needing a Coke or a cup of coffee or something to keep me awake. And there was a bright light on the horizon. I didn't know if it was a star or a gas station or a, a hut or a ranger booth or something, but I made my way to it. And it was this little enclave of three buildings, hundred foot tall lamppost. This is in the middle of nowhere, but one of those buildings was a post office. And I looked up at the post office and wouldn't you know, it was Cameron, Arizona. Go figure twilight zone moment. The other building was a little motel. And the third building was a, an indigenous trading post. And I caught 40 winks in the motel woke up. There was an elder sitting on her blanket selling jewelry. I bought a ring from her, my Cameron ring. And I asked her if I could sit with her a moment and have a conversation because I had some questions I wanted to ask. And she was obviously a sage, long silver hair, leathery skin, little slit eyes. And she, you could tell she was carrying some wisdom. And I said, I recently experienced the passing of my only child. And I've been looking, I've been researching on the internet and libraries, universities, and linguistics all around the world. And I cannot find a word like widow or orphan that I can turn to explain who I am without having to go into it. Because any time we are asked, oh, do you have any children? Or how many children do you have? We literally have to crowbar our chests open and pour out onto the table, the most personal, private, painful, sacred aspects of our journey for other people to chomp on. Mm -hmm. That is the plight of the paragraph. So I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to have to go into it every time. And there was no word that I could find. And I asked her, is there any, she was Zuni tribe. I think I said, is there anything in the Zuni language or culture that holds this? And she said, perhaps it's too profound a loss for a mere word to describe. Maybe that's why there's no word. She said, in my culture, your name would change. For instance, I might call you Henry, whose son is gone and that would become your name from now forward. So anytime I introduce you to somebody new, I introduce you as Henry, whose son is gone anytime we're talking about you and you're not in the room. Oh, I saw Henry, whose son is gone at the market today or anyone who even thinks about you because your name is the expression of your identity, isn't it? So that's why your name changes. And I thought, what a beautiful gesture. I don't know that it fits into the global way of communicating. I don't want to go around introducing myself as Henry, whose son is gone to everybody because that's too much and I don't believe he's gone anyway. So I, I just chewed on that for a little while. And that's when I added, I hyphenated his name with my Henry Cameron, because when our child is no longer with us physically. People don't speak their name any. We have it's like pulling teeth to find anyone to say your child's name, even family members, because they don't want to upset you or they have a hard time with the loss or well for whatever reason you don't hear it and you long to hear it. Mm-hmm. So adding his name to mine solved that problem. I get to hear it all the time now mm-hmm. and. Hyphenating our names is also a bond. It forever links us. And in the same moment, it's a mathematical equation. It's Henry minus Cameron in the physical sense. So it's Henry, whose son is gone without saying Henry. So it solved a lot of that, but what it didn't solve for me was the widow orphan word that is universal. I know that not every person's going to go around and add their child's name to their own, to that same purpose. I was looking for and through the Lost Traveler's Club. I've been on a 15 year quest, Dave, to find this word. So now this is the crux of it. This was about a month ago. I had a dream that a peregrine falcon flew down, landed in front of me, looked up and said, it's time. That's all it said. I opened my eyes and I knew exactly what it meant. It meant that is our word, peregrine. And I I was about, again, these things wake me up in the middle of the night, three in the morning and I'm wired, right? So I'm starting to look and, and I've been using AI now looking for historical documents and definitions and, and aspects of the peregrine because I didn't know. I'm like, how does that equate? I knew it did, but I didn't know how it took a lot of research. And I start always with the root of the word itself, peregrine. What does it mean? Where did it come from? The etymology of the word. And it comes from the ancient Latin, which originally meant a stranger in a field or lost traveler. Yeah, it also meant a pilgrim, someone on a sacred journey, which we all are. And as my research unfolded, it was one thing after another. Even there's a Catholic Saint Peregrine who was a cancer survivor, and he was known to be the empathetic saint because he had cancer. And he could help people with their own journey, which is everything that the Lost Travelers Club is about. It's peregrines helping peregrines. We've all been there. Our Mm. council of peregrines, which you are a member of, are veteran peregrines, parents who have experienced this journey for a time, some of them for 40 years, some have lost multiple children. So they have extra special wisdom that they can bring to the table in advising not only other peregrines, but in the development of this vision and this dream. And so immediately I designed a whole new brand for the Lost Travelers Club. The logo is a peregrine. We have our our council. We have our fellowship of fathers, which is a a peregrine circle just for fathers because we are so underserved in the grieving community. Uh, Mothers have... Ample support, which is right and good, but fathers need it desperately. Mm. And we have mother peregrine, we have grandparents peregrines as well who have lost their grandchildren. My mother Mm -hmm. is one, right? So there's a. It's opened up to a whole conversation. And Ias, what an Ias is no. It's a young nestling peregrine. So children who have lost their siblings now have a term that they can use and we can form support for them in ways that has been very limited up till now.
1: One of the things that I've said about sibling grief is sometimes that can get in, that can go into the category of disenfranchised grief because everybody's so concerned about how the parents are doing and the message that the siblings get is that, well, don't cause your parents any more pain, um, yeah. but just make sure you're 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 being good, and they're thinking of something. What about my grief? I lost a very significant person in my life, a that Things I would tell my sibling, I would never tell my parents. I've lost that confidant, I've lost that part of me. I never expected that I was going to live my sibling. So they're going through a very parallel journey, with a yep. with a very unique set of challenges. And whatever I've worked, I. You know, I tell my students in uh, that dying bereavement class at Utica University, don't forget the siblings. If you're doing family work, implies you're doing work with the siblings. So you sit down with them and find out where they are, they are in their grief, what tools that they need, what life skills do they need to transcend what their that particular type of loss. Don't forget the siblings. And as that somebody, I mean it. yeah, and as somebody who recently, two years ago, which is another part of my by my story, I was an only child for 66 years. I'm not anymore. And I've beg- I begun to understand it from 66 years on to, to the present, the The sanctity of the sibling bond. I get that now. And that's something I'm glad that you're all, you're also, and also with grandparents as well, as with my daughter after she transitioned 10 months after giving birth to my first granddaughter. And so I, not only was I grieving for my granddaughter, I was grieving for my own loss. And that was like right. a double-edged sword. And through, there were times there wasn't, I, I was, my fumes were running on fumes in the beginning, Henry. That's another piece that also really needs to get to to become established and to become part of the Lost Travelers Club. And the other yeah. thing is that many grandparents are, either ra- are raising their grandchildren for a lot of different reasons. So that brings a whole not- nother different set of challenges in addition to grief.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And, and at any age, we have unresolved challenges around grief at every age. People who lost their sibling in their childhood or even in their adulthood, it's, it matters. This conversation matters and these skills, these universal life skills matter around grief and the grieving journey that we are all on. Every human being, 8 billion of us are going to grieve. And yet there's nothing. If I want to learn how to cook Chinese cuisine, if I want to learn how to play the ukulele, which I just bought my first ukulele, by the way, and I'm going to learn how to do it. And By but the it, way,
1: I got to interrupt you for a second. I saw where you <laughs> dropped that podcast on the gentleman who, the Zed of the ukulele, I'm thinking of myself. Mindfulness. And mindfulness, that is wild. Yeah, that just launched this week on the Lost Traveler podcast. Because Lost
0: Traveler, the Lost Travelers Club... I'll tell you the story about Lost Traveler, too, because it ties it all together. I told you before that the Brain Candy Project was the name of the foundation to begin with. That was Cameron. He said, eye candy is something that's easy on your eyes. Brain Candy relieves the minds of parents who are holding their children through a critical or terminal loss or a life experience. And the Brain Candy Project was really about our tagline once, holding parents so parents can hold their children. It was very noble. It was right. It was good for the time that it was, but my journey as the founder or the co-founder with Cameron had changed dramatically over the years. And a decade went by and I had been carrying the brain candy project and we had done good work and, and established a permanent endowment at the university of Minnesota children's hospital where Cameron had most of his care and it was paying for parking in perpetuity for parents from other places, coming to that community and and living there and other care needs for the caregiver, because hospitals are charged with caring for their patients, not their patients' parents. Mm -hmm. And so that solved that problem. But my journey had changed dramatically as a peregrine and I've been in Europe now six years and during the first leg of it, I was in the UK basing in the UK and. I could stay in the UK as an American without a visa for up to six months. The caveat was I could only stay three months, but then I had to leave the country and then I could come back for another three months, but you have to leave the borders of the country and then come back in the middle of it. You could go have lunch in Paris and come back in the same day. I didn't want to do that. So I went to the Belgian coast. I thought, Ooh, Belgian waffles. Belgian chocolate, Belgian beer. Yeah, I could deal with some Belgium. I'd never been there. So I took the train from London to Brussels, and then I had to switch trains to go to Blankenberg, which was this little resort town on the coast. But I ended up in Germany because they gave me the wrong ticket. And I got off the train, and I said, where's Blankenberg? They said, oh, this is Germany. You must go to the other side of the country to get to Blankenberg. It's on the coast. Why are you here? I said, here's my ticket. They said, oh, they gave you the wrong ticket. You need to go back to Brussels, change your ticket, and then they'll give you another train. So I was like, oh, brother. Okay. So the whole thing took 11 hours. And so I got back to Brussels. And the woman sitting behind the counter, behind the glass, the ticketing agent, smoking, which they still do in Europe. She took a, she looked at my ticket in one hand. and She had her cigarette in the other. She took a big drag off her cigarettes, looked up at me and at her best Marlena Dietrich, she said, you are a lost traveler. And Dave, I almost fell apart crying because that was the first time outside my own head that I heard anything that described the Peregrine journey. We feel like lost travelers. Nobody can look at us and know the journey that we're on right? Unless they've already been on that journey and then they get it. It's like losing an eye, right? You can look at a person if they have pop in a glass eye, you can't tell, right? But their perspective is quite different. And so I got to Blankenberg finally, and I was just sitting with that whole lost traveler concept. What can I do with that? That's so right. It's so deliciously right. It feels good because I want to move. But I don't know where to move in the world, not move in terms of changing my location, but just moving through life. The next day, I took a train, about 15 minute ride to the city of Bruges. And anyone who ever has a chance to go to Bruges in Belgium must go. It is a beautiful, magical, amazingly preserved medieval town. The architecture, everything about it is amazing. But there were these this small group of women on the train. I couldn't understand them. They were speaking Dutch, I later found out. But there were about eight of them from their late 20s to their late 50s, early 60s. Big stage group. They were screaming with laughter, having a grand old time. And I, you couldn't help but smile with, with the energy that was around them. And we got off the train in Bruges and uh, they all circled around me because they were fawning over flat Stanley, my, my service dog. And he, he mitigates my PTSD around my experience, but also I'm physically disabled and he helps me with that too. So I was explaining that to them and I said, what's your story? Are you a group of friends? Are you family members on a holiday? What you're having a great time. I can tell they said, yeah, we always have a good time. And I said, who are you? And they said, we have a nonprofit organization called Colegas." I said, collegas, oh, like colleagues, like you're in the same industry that you work in or whatever. No, we are all young widows. We all lost our partners unexpectedly and too soon. And we formed this organization, this travel club, to be able to step back into the world powerfully amongst other people who get it, who understand what it's like to go through that feeling of isolation and loss. And it just, the skies is open up and a lightning bolt hit me in the solar plexus. And that's where the whole concept of the Lost Travelers Club came to be. Because how often do we hear, oh, child loss is the club that nobody should belong to. Nobody wants to belong to. What's another one of those heavy things that people say to oh. us? You have to endure. And I'm like, we're here. We might as well have a club and how cool it be to have a travel club like Colegas to step powerfully out of our isolation, out of our stagnation in our mourning and grief, and step back into the world with people who understand this journey. And if you need to be under a blanket in the hotel room for the day, nobody's going to question it because we've all been there and that's how it was born. And I called my fiscal sponsor. When I got back to Blankenberg. I said, what would it take? to change the mission and the name and the branding and everything of the brain candy project to the lost travelers club. They said, just tell us it won't cost you anything. And the funds that are in the brain candy project, will just transfer over to the new name, big whoop, no, no biggie within 24 hours, the lost traveler club was a thing. And then COVID hit there went the idea of a travel club Mm -hmm. (laughs) nobody was traveling then Now we're getting back to that conversation, but then it became, how can I serve other peregrines? How can I serve people to at least conceive of projects, purposeful projects that we can work on together that lend honor and memory and celebrate the lives of our children right? How can we come together at in community to channel our grief into service in our children's name? What a powerful gesture in the grief journey. And that's what it became. That's what it is. We started the fellowship of fathers, and now we're developing a mothership circle as well. The mothership circle will serve the same purpose. And that's very exciting. We're also thinking about a, an IAS nest where the nestlings, where the siblings can also come together to find ways to live their lives in honor of their siblings and in memory of their siblings. And so it's an active group. It's not a, it's not a sit in a circle and sing Kumbaya and weep over our, our lost children. thing, there are organizations who do that brilliantly, that hold bereavement hold mourning in, in that state for the time that it needs to be. And so those things are there. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be the same as another grief support group. There are plenty of them out there already doing it brilliantly. Why would I need to reinvent the wheel? But what we're doing with the Lost Travelers Club is something that does not exist anywhere else on the planet. I know that to be true. We are empowering peregrines. To come together in community a group of peregrines by the way is called a cast c-a-s-t like a theater company mm-hmm, mm-hmm, which go mm-hmm. figure the that's, that's another weird quinky dink with all this and uh, and let's find projects to do together let's get active in the world
1: that's another that's, that's uh, another form i'm oh, sorry i didn't mean to interrupt henry
0: I was just gonna say thank you for your involvement, your wisdom in it, because it matters, it, it really matters to have people with credentials, people who know what they're doing, people who see through the same mm-hmm. lens that I'm seeing through. It's not just a Henry show. I'm a collaborative artist, not a solo artist at all. So now, I'm great every day. I
1: think basically if anybody tries to go solo with anything, they find out very quickly that they're a one person parade because yeah. You can't do it yourself, and you need to bring in individuals that have complementary skills or even skills that you don't have to make sure that the mission and to make sure that the message is being heard where it needs to be heard. But it's interesting, just describing the evolution of the Lost Travelers Club, your dream about the Peregrine Falcon, the the Cameron, Arizona, all of this. I look at this as just pure serendipity where past, present, and future came together. And I'm a big believer in chrome medicine, which is out of the past is your teacher, out of the That's present right. is your creation, and out of the future is your inspiration. All of that came together past, present, and not in any particular order, but it just came together just very synchronistically to bring us to where we're at the present moment, And that moment's going to continue to evolve. And you know we're just on a different journey. We're not maybe it's not a physical journey where we're physically moving. But we're, we're journeying to different perspectives, you know, in, in our mind, or we're just journeying to categories. and we're trying to embrace those categories. That's so a journey. We're traveling. Depends how you define travel. Absolutely. And that, that part of the, uh,
0: the peregrine word that is ascribed to being a pilgrim. A pilgrimage is also a journey. Yep. Yeah, I live in Spain, the Camino de Santiago. Right? They, in Spanish, a pilgrim is called a peregrino. Right? So there is this sacred aspect to the journey. I had another dream, Dave, (laughs) and a whole vision came to me where I was sitting at a crossroads on a stone, and to the left of me was a dark forest and the path to the forest was straight and clear. And there were screams of anguish and despair emanating from this dark forest. And to the right of me, there was a path down the hill and it was not a straight path. It was curvy. There were boulders covered with moss and eroded parts that Mm -hmm. it was difficult to travel. And at the bottom of it, there was this great abyss and there was no bridge. There was no way to get across it on the other side of it in the horizon. There was this beautiful silver shining city. So here I was sitting at this crossroads with my head in my hands, trying to think of which way to go, because the easy road to continued despair and desolation in the forest in the woods, right? That was an easy road to get to because I had already been walking that path. The harder road was down to this canyon. And all of a sudden this mystic appeared to me and asked me basically, what are you gonna do? I said, I don't know. I need help. I need help to figure out. And the message was, trust yourself. You know what you need to do. Mm-hmm. I'm like, but uh, but do I go continue where I'm headed or do I go down the hard path to this canyon, this ravine that I don't know if I can cross? Do I take that risk? I looked up and the mystic was gone. And the words that stayed with me were, trust yourself. And it was obvious it would be to anybody. Take the harder road, take the risk. You don't know what's going to happen when you get down to the, the ravine, to the abyss. But I got down there. I fell, I bruised myself on, on slippery moss rocks and there were wildflowers everywhere. So it was beautiful too. It was dangerous and treacherous and beautiful at the same time. And I got down to this abyss and looked in both directions and no way to cross whatsoever. But what I noticed pretty quickly was that there were hundreds of other people who were standing with me. They had also taken chosen that path to the edge of the abyss. And they were also lost travelers. Right. And it wasn't that far across. And I said to everybody, listen, guys, why don't we hold hands? And on the count of three. Let's see if we can jump across and if we fall together, but let's just do it. Let's go. Trust yourself. I said, and they were scared as I was. We didn't know what was going to happen. And we grabbed hands and we jumped. And at first it was that plummeting feeling like you're on a roller coaster that goes down and it's like your stomach is in your throat, right? But then we flew, we could fly. We never knew that we could fly. It's another Peregrine reference. Mm -hmm. This actually happened before Peregrine. So this was in preparation, I think, for the Peregrine thing. And as we were flying around, we were doing loop-de-loops and we were laughing. And the laughter that came out of us was the voices of our children. And it was the realization that they're still alive. They're Mm -hmm. still, they just live inside us now, inside ourselves with a capital S. Right. They don't live outside our bodies anymore. They're living in us, in our blood, in our DNA. Our children are now our ancestors. Talk about a mind blow.
1: Oh yeah. For right?
0: That's for another sure. big message I'm trying to figure out what to do with because our children are now our ancestors and the way that we are inspired by and ask for help from our ancestors. Our children are now in that camp. And so they are with us. They're still with us. And when the laughter came out, it was hearing them emanating from us. And we were able to land safely on the other side of the abyss. And we started walking toward the Silver City. And that's why I woke up.
1: Wow. And yeah, that's we can go into the abyss together and we can get out together. With support, we can do it. You know with what kind of a weird association that came into my mind when I was you were talking about the dream. I was thinking of the late Tom Patty Ritter. There's a couple of songs. One is straight into darkness. So when you were talking about taking the dark path, I mean it's easy for many Peregrines in early grief to Darkness is what we're used to in early grief. We're used to living there. But the other path where there's there's uncertainty, but yet there is more room for movement, is something that's that that's like the road lost taken. But when you mentioned you find yourself among the wildflowers, I thought about one of my favorite Tom Petty songs, which reminds me of my daughter Janine, which is wildflowers. She's she, here. That That's from her. Yeah. And At, that that omen was her gift to you to say, hey, Dad. Right? Oh, yeah. And I felt that, but it's, but it was like, uh, as I heard this nudge in my head saying, mention Petty, mention the song Straight to Darkness, mention Wildflowers, because Wildflowers is a, is a song that I really associate with Janine's eternal journey.
0: Yeah. The, the song that comes to me a lot for Cameron is a song that came, that he told me about Drift Away. Mm -hmm. And he was getting radiation treatments and he was seeing all this blue light, which is very common with radiation treatments. It's the, that glow, that Mm -hmm. blue glow and drift away was playing on the radio at the hospital. Mm -hmm. And he said, Papa, that, that song said it all to me, free my soul. I want to get lost in your rock and roll and drift away. So whenever I hear that song, man,
1: woof. Yep, uh, that and it's music is something that is another thing that connects me with with Janine, and is another way that I integrate her memories. What
0: is music? It's frequency. Uh-huh. That's what uh-huh. we're talking about here. When I'm talking about the quantum theory, we're talking about frequency. When we're talking about death, we're talking about frequency. We yep. know. That we, that energy and frequency cannot be created or destroyed. It just changes its form. Which scientifically proves my, my theory that death is not real. Death is an illusion, but it's up to us who are still here in the physical to find the frequency that they are at now to be able to connect with them. So it's not an opinion. This is actually proven to be the case when we're talking about entanglement, quantum entanglement, that two particles in the universe can affect each other from great distances. Yeah.
1: We're still mm-hmm. resonating with our kids. And as long as we're open to transforming that relationship and having that kind of relationship, we can connect with their energy anytime. And well,
0: acceptance is, is everything, isn't
1: it? It is it is. I could go out for another hour, and I think we're going to have to do a part two at some point, Henry, but We're getting close to our time, but before we leave, tell us how people can contact you, what you have going on. You've already told us what you've had going on that listeners should know about, but how can people contact you? How can they find out more about the Lost Travelers Club, the Lost Travelers Peregrines Group? How can they find it? If you want to find out about just everything
0: that I'm doing and how it relates to everything else that I'm doing, you just go to henryallen.org. That's my central website. And... You can access my podcast there. You can access my counseling and mentoring there. You can access my theater work, my music, and my storytelling theater stuff. It's all there. Or you can go to losttravelers.club to go directly to the Lost Travelers Club. Become a member. Become a supporter. Become a sponsor Mm -hmm. of our work. If you know somebody, if you know a peregrine, point them in our direction, start using the word, start using it in in reference to people in reference to yourself. Hi, I'm Henry. Oh, do you have any kids? I'm a peregrine. Oh, what does that mean? It means that I've survived my child. That's all you have to say. Mm -hmm. Now, you don't have to open your chest up anymore, right? right? And then they can go to the website and find out what peregrine means in depth, in more depth. There's even a peregrine star it's called Al-Shane, which is an ancient Egyptian star that is in the Orion constellation. And it's a beautiful thing to know that we have a star that we can look at. It's one of the most visible stars actually at night. And if you go out and you can find Al-Shane, then you've got our, we, all of us, our peregrines have a guiding star. That's pretty special. That
1: is special. Henry. It's been a blast. It's been a pleasure. We got to do this again. Of course, we're going to be in constant contact with each other anyway, but we got to do this again on, on the Teaching Journeys podcast. I know there's a part two two in us. I know there is. Look at uh,
0: the Lost Traveler podcast when you guys were were my guest co-hosts. Mm-hmm. We had to do a part two because we couldn't get through it in one one no. hour. No, I hope people will go and look for that. It's in my season one uh, of the Lost Traveler podcast. Yeah. And you can access that through the HenryAllen.org as well.
1: I hope many people access our podcast when it becomes, well, it becomes live. It becomes live. So I'm hoping many people access that because this is a great conversation. And I thank you, Henry, for taking time out of your day to spend with me today. I thank you
0: too, Papa Peregrine. I'm really excited to maintain our connection and keep
1: flying. Me too. And that is a wrap. On another episode of the Teaching Journeys Podcast, I'm your host, Dave Roberts, wishing you peace.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode, and please remember to share this podcast with your family, friends, and colleagues, and don't forget to leave a rating, review, or both.